0: well good morning everybody i am jeremy and i'm on staff here at church thank you for joining us this morning for this first sunday of advent and thank you for joining us online for all of you who are there as well now as we begin this advent uh, series advent is truly an expectation and waiting upon what is to come And that is the expectant birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who was born uh, 2,000 years ago. It's a joyful preparation of our hearts as we look towards Christmas. Does anybody here like Christmas? Okay, so 5, 20 of us. Okay. So um, we're looking at hope. We're looking at peace. Love and joy over the next four Sundays, and as there's four themes within Advent, I pitched this sermon idea to Pastor John, and I said, "Hey, why not look at these four themes of hope, peace, love, and joy, and figure out what the truth is within these?" So I came up with this series: four truths and a lie, and that is uh, looking at what we can put our hope into, which is on truth and pointing out what the lie is within each one of these themes and since there's four Sundays I thought hey what about four truths and this is going to work and so I said hey what do you think he said okay let's go for it so if it's a flop you can blame me or you can blame Pastor John for letting me uh, do this series. So um, let me start off with uh, just a little about me four truths and a lie. One, I have degenerative arthritis in my neck and back, and I wake up in relative pain every single morning. Number two, um, let's go to the next slide. There we go. Uh, I broke my leg twice in the same year when I was in high school. I missed the birth of my firstborn daughter, Hannah. Hannah. Cereal is my favorite food, and I served in the U.S. Army for over 21 years. So go ahead and take your um, devices out. You can vote right there at your pews. And if you're online, please use the voting buttons. No, there's none of that. So what are the truths and what is the one lie? So give a second, think about it. Raise your hand if you think the first one is a lie. I have degenerative arthritis in my neck and back. Raise your hand if you think that's the lie. Okay, number two. I broke my leg twice in the same year when I was in high school. Is that a lie? Raise your hand. Okay, number three. I missed the birth of my firstborn Hannah. Raise your hand if you think that's a lie. Oh, man, you guys are holding on for the last two, huh? Cereal is my favorite food. Raise your hand if that's a lie. Now, if you're on staff here at church, you already know that that one's true. <laughs> okay, last one. I've served in the Army for over 21 years. Raise your hand if that's a lie. All right. Well... I broke my leg twice in the same year when I was in high school. Now, that's a lie, but to be fair, I broke my leg in June of 1996, and I rebroke it in January of 1997, seven or eight months apart. So technically, within the span of 12 months, I broke my leg twice, but it was not in the same year. Now, did you see how I could take something that sounds true and make it into a lie? It's easy, and it's easy to fall for these lies all the time. When we say something that sounds like it's true, but in fact, it is false. And it happened all the way back in Genesis. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. But what did God actually say? In Genesis 2, 16, 17, going back, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat any.'" Tree from the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Did God say not to touch it? He did not. He simply said, Don't eat from it. And either through uh, Adam not relaying this information to Eve, because God was the one who told Adam this, or because Eve was deceived, or because she had already believed a lie in her mind, thinking that she's not allowed to touch it, and then once she touched the tree she didn't die, then certainly eating the fruit must be okay too. But you see, the consequence did happen, right o- didn't, but it didn't happen right away. Eventually, they did experience an earthly death. But as we look at the theme of hope today, um, I want to ask us all here today what are we putting our hope in? Where are we placing our hope today? Is it in politics or within our elected officials? Is it hope that one day that lottery ticket that we buy will finally pay out? Is it hope that the sins that we struggle with day in and day out will finally just go away? Is it a hope that our relationship with a friend, a family member, a co-worker, or another student that has been strained, maybe that reconciliation can finally take place? Is it a hope that our car will start in the morning when we have to get to work? Is it hope that we'll even have a car when we get out of our house in the morning? Is it hope that we even have a car someday? Is it a hope that Jeremy will stop using examples of what we put our hope in? Well, there's so many things that we place our hope in that are false. And there are truthful ways to look at hope, which Scripture reveals to us. And the first one we're going to look at is in Romans 8, 22 through 27. If you want to follow along in your church app, you can do that or follow along on the screen or grab a Bible from the pew. It says, not only... Okay, let me go back. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait For it patiently. And in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. If our hope Is truly waiting for what is not seen or what we do not have what is it that we actually can put our hope in the answer is we can't know but that's faith this is truth number one you want to write this one down faith is believing that what we put our hope in will happen it will actually happen It's going to happen. It will happen. It's not a hope that it may happen. For all of you English people, that's the subjunctive mood. It may happen. No, it's that it will happen. It's going to happen. It will actually happen. So what can we hope for based on this passage in Romans? It is the resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. For the final resurrection of Christ, when he calls us all home to be with him, in eternity forever and ever for what we actually hope in will happen because god promises this in his word and if we confess with our mouth that jesus christ is lord and believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead we will be saved it's not blind faith it's faith based with a promise And we struggle along the way as we have our hope in what is not seen. And we are told that we are given an intercessor for us, the Holy Spirit, who will guide us, who will give us discernment, who will help us in the struggles, in our weakness. And we don't always know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he searches our hearts and our minds because He knows the mind of the Spirit, and because the Spirit intercedes for all God's people in accordance with the will of God, so God is with us and in us for all things, and we can put our hope in this fact. It's not a lie. So that's truth number one. Truth number two, hope in faith. In Hebrews 11, the author gives us numerous examples of those who have come before us who have demonstrated a faith based in hope because of the promise God has given to them. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy uh, fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he was condemned. Uh, By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would uh, later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man... And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. In the end, every single one of these people received the promise because of their faith. They received what God had promised them. You see, if God makes a promise, God keeps his promise. And that is what they put their faith in. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hope and faith come with a condition. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because when we put our faith and trust into something or someone else other than God things will always turn poorly. It's impossible to please God without faith because essentially we're taking God out of the equation and making ourselves above him, thinking that we know better than what God wants and what God desires. We're also told that keeping the faith in the creator, that he rewards those who seek him. It doesn't say that if we earnestly seek God, he is going to give us everything that we want. That's a lie. We're simply told that we must be earnestly seeking after him, and there will be a reward. Many Christians in this world are poor. Many Christians in this world don't live in relative peace within their countries. Many Christians face persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There are many Christians in this world who don't have access to clean drinking water. Scripture doesn't promise us a monetary gain, although we see examples of this, say in Job and Solomon. But what is promised is that the Holy Spirit will be with us and will intercede for us and through us and guide us and search our hearts to help us in our weakness and put, give us the right direction, God's direction. Truth number three, hope is what keeps us going when we feel like giving up. I was just hearing this story uh, from the chief of chaplains uh, last week when I was in Texas, and he was talking to all of us, and he said, look, These uh, POWs in Vietnam at the Hanoi Hilton, he said, uh, from the experiences of those who had survived the captivity, he said that those who went and experienced this difficult torture and experienced physical pain and, and all these horrific things, and they survived, there was one thing that they had, it was hope. But he said for those who didn't survive, it was always that they gave up hope. They were told, hey, we're going to release you after Thanksgiving, and then Thanksgiving would come and pass, and then, oh, you'll be gone by Christmas, and then Christmas would come and pass, and eventually people started losing hope. And once their hope went away, then their physical bodies began to deteriorate more and more as they lost hope, and those were the ones that didn't survive. Look, what happened with Elijah. He was at the top of Mount Carmel, and fire had come down from heaven. Rain had come to the land after years of drought. He got supernatural power and outran the king's chariot, and then later realized and was told Jezebel wants to kill you, and so what does he do after this miraculous things had happened over and over? He goes and he sits by a tree, and he hoped to die. Essentially, he was suicidal, thinking that, God, just take my life. I want to be done. I'm, I'm giving up. I'm losing hope. But the truth is, is that we can't be on a spiritual high all the time. And that sometimes it takes us to be in a place of despair in order for God to work through us. So that our dependence will continue to be on God through all circumstances. When we rely on ourselves, it will always get us into trouble. But when we rely on God's strength and His direction, He will always continue to giving us hope. God is faithful, and He will see us through the best times, and He will always see us through the worst of times. In Romans five one through five. It tells us, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I'm going to give a bad example, okay? Has anybody ever read the book Shawshank Redemption? Has anybody seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Now, in this movie, there's a scene, and it's more towards the end of the movie, where Andy is, uh, who is a prisoner, and he's talking to another fellow prisoner, Red, and he's talking about holding on to this hope, hope that he is going to see the outside of these walls of this prison someday. And Red tells him, "'Hope is a dangerous thing, my friend. It can drive a man insane.'" And although this seems like truthful advice from Red's perspective because he's seen people go insane for holding on hope that they're going to be released from this prison, he doesn't know why Andy is still holding on to this hope because he doesn't know what Andy knows. But Andy maintains his hope that he is going to be freed from this prison and so that's what he's looking forward to. So he turns the tables on to Red and he says, well, I guess there's only two things we have left to do. We can either get busy living, or we can get busy dying. And instead of arguing with him and pushing this point, he recognizes that there's a moment to teach Red something about hope. And so he tells him of this place. And he asks him, do you know of this place? And he says, yes. He says, if you go here along this brick or along this rock wall, at the end there's going to be an oak tree. And buried there underneath a volcanic stone... I have something there for you. It's just for you, and I want you to have it. And so Red says, well, what is it? He says, you're just going to have to wait and find out. Giving him hope back into Red's life. You see, the lie is that when we put our hope into something or someone other than God, it will always lead us to disappointment. It will always lead to disappointment. It will always bring us down. Now let me caveat what I'm about to say next by saying this. I have homeowner's insurance. I have auto insurance. I have property insurance, okay? There's the caveat. You're welcome, Tony. But why do we sell insurance? Well, you never know what might happen, and it would be better to be safe than sorry because you never know when unfortunate things might happen. And so what does insurance give us? It gives us peace of mind, Insurance, assuring that if we get into a car accident or if our house burns down or something like that, it will be covered. There's not this looming disaster over our head. It gives us peace of mind. And that's what insurance is there for. It gives us peace of mind. And there's a contract saying that, yes, we'll pay out if these things happen. But our truth in this situation is that true peace of mind truly does come from the hope and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ our hope, that the foundation that we are building our lives and hope on will not disappoint us. Why? Because it is given a promise. There's a promise that it will happen. Not that it may happen, is that it will happen. And I can think of no better example than this, than the hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And if I break into song, I'm sorry, I will try to read the lyrics and not sing the lyrics. But it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I know that you're singing this in your head as I'm doing this. In every rough and stormy gale, My anchor holds within the veil. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Not earth nor hell my soul can move. I rest upon unchanging love. I trust his righteous character, his counsel, his promise, and his power. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. In Psalm 46, 1 through 3, we are also told that God is our refuge and our strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quank with their surging. Remember, during this Advent season, hold on to the truth of hope. Hold on to the truth of hope as we go through our life, putting our hope into what is true, looking forward to the resurrection that will happen again someday. And we look forward to our coming Savior's birth as we celebrate on Christmas Day. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for offering your spirit to us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to intercede for us, to know your heart. God, that you will always be with us. You will never forsake us. God, that you will see us through the good times. You will see us through the bad times. God, that our hope is built on you as our foundation because if anything else we put our hope in and it goes away, we'll be searching for answers. So God, let us build that foundation upon you. God, our lives, our minds, our hearts, let it be built on you, our true foundation. Amen.